have compassion for everyone you meet, even if they don't want it. What seems like bad manners or cynicism is always a sign of things no eyes have seen or ears have heard. You don't know what wars are going on down where the spirit meets the bone. But ring the bells that still can ring. Forget your perfect offering. There's a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. Is there an album or an artist that defines a part of your life? When you hear that song, does it whisk you back to that moment in time? I feel like we all have something that when it hits on the radio, it kind of transports us a bit. To this day, when I listen to the album How to Dismantle an Atomic Bomb by the band U2, I am transported 40,000 feet above the earth, flying from Columbus to San Diego for my first mission trip to Tijuana, Mexico, a trip that I would take another eight times. On repeat, I listened to the album on the plane as we crossed the U.S.-Mexico border and for, my, for the first time saw the stark differences between our two countries. I listened to the album every morning on our way to work, uh, to the work site, and every way on our way back from building houses. These songs accompanied my thoughts. They worked a process for the first time, a new culture, new traditions, and new ways of being human. But as I listen to, these, to this album, there is a lyric that still comes to mind whenever I travel out of the country or have a new experience. And the lyric is this, the more you see, the less you know the less you find out as you go. I knew much more then than I do now. I had seen so much on that first trip and more in subsequent trips. And I may have picked up on some things, but each time I went back, it just revealed how much bigger the world is and how small I was in it. But it was good for me. It was good to leave home. Because at some point, we do have to leave home. It is both exciting and scary, and it takes work to unpack, but it is how we grow. Home is familiar and comfortable, but sometimes staying in the familiar and comfortable keeps us from growing or knowing, knowing our place in the world. And as far as our faith journey goes, it keeps us from experiencing God in new and exciting ways and keeps us from becoming a new creation. Most of us, if not all of us, are familiar with this morning's story of Adam and Eve and how they left Eden. God said, don't eat the fruit, you will die. The snake says, you won't die, but you will be like God. Eve takes the fruit, eats it, gives it to Adam. They realize that they are naked. They bicker. God makes the snake slither. All women experience painful childbearing. And Adam, well, it's not really fair, but Adam, it's just he has to work a little bit harder to find his food from then on. And while that may be the story found in Scripture, 
we also accept along with it these interpretations of this text throughout the years. We have grown comfortable with calling this passage the fall of humanity, which is often referred to as original sin. Through the years, theologians and church fathers, yes, church fathers, interpreted this text that all humans are born in a state of sin. And let's not forget the way that male theologians have framed Eve and with Eve, all women, as the cause of sin or the cause of fallenness. And from this all-too-common interpretation has come beliefs that all people need to be saved and that God established this gender hierarchy that has manifested itself in very oppressive systems through time, including keeping women out of the pulpit and from different sectors in society. We all know this interpretation. It is familiar. It may feel like home, but I will let you decide if this is a place you want to call home. Now, in biblical studies, there is this phrase that is commonly used called interrogating the text. Interrogating the text, meaning not to just accept the text or the interpretation, but to ask questions, many, many questions about it. For instance, why did God say you can't eat anything in the garden? God said you could have it all, you could have everything but this one beautiful tree with all of its fruit. Why would God say no to this one thing? After all, if I set out all my toys, or Jamie's toys, in front of him and said you can play with every toy here except this stuffed giraffe, and I'm going to put this stuffed giraffe on the counter table where you can reach it. What do you think will happen? Yet this is what God does in the story. Another question, what is going on with Adam when the snake and Eve are having perhaps the first theological conversation about what God was saying and, and what God was up to? Where is Adam? Scripture says Adam was right there with Eve, but he doesn't say anything. He lets Eve do the talking. He lets Eve take the fall. Even she took the initiative to confront the snake and say, this is what God said. But Adam is completely silent. Another question. If this text were about original sin and where it comes from and that we are born in a state of sin, how come the word sin is never mentioned once? And what about the first creation story? Because if you didn't know, Genesis contains two accounts of the creation narrative. Adam and Eve are chapter 2 and 3, but chapter 1, God created humankind in God's image. And that creation was good. Couldn't the interpretation be not original sin, but original blessing or goodness? In fact, that word is actually used there if we really want to parse out what is in the language. But if that is the case, then aren't we born in a state of goodness? I realize that this may not feel like the story we grew up or were handed, but it does lead us to a God that is gracious and loving. And therefore, how could that not be faithful? In the ancient world, snakes were both a symbol or a symbol of transformation. 
Their venom held the possibility for both poison and medicine. And the human story begins in the crux of this same paradox of possibility. The serpent says, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened. Now, if you really think about it, the serpent didn't lie because their eyes were opened, but that isn't the whole story. Because while the humans won't physically die as they imagined, God also told the truth. A death would happen. It was the death of their innocence. Before we embark on a life of wisdom and seeking God, we must allow our naive, innocent self to die. This call to grow up and leave Eden, to leave the divine parent's house, comes for all of us at some point in life. It can happen when we physically leave our homes for other things. It could be when we have a health crisis or when we are thrust into a new situation. And it can be painful and disorienting. We may have to leave behind that which has made us comfortable for so long, but does not serve to help us or help us grow. But if we let God lead, if we stay open to possibilities, if we interrogate what is familiar and comfortable, we may find that leaving home is not only disorienting, but at the same time has potential to reorient us to the medicine we need, to God's guidance to grow and mature in faith. Lent is the season where we leave home. We leave the city and head out into the wilderness. We leave simply because Jesus left as he grew in faith and trust in the wilderness. And it was where we are transformed, where disorientation leads to reorientation. And throughout this season, we will be using the theme seeking, honest questions for deeper faith. Each Sunday, we will hear from a person who is seeking a new beginning, a different life, and a deeper faith. And maybe you too are coming, seeking a new beginning, a deeper faith, or a different life. As comfortable as Eden was, Adam and Eve had to travel east. Yes, technically they were disobedient and were kicked out, but maybe that's why God set up such a tempting boundary. But with the death of innocence comes a birth of free will and awareness. Free will to choose, free will to disobey, free will to choose love, and relationship. Often excluded from this familiar retelling of Adam and Eve is the way in which it ends, which is not in God's anger and resentment, but God's steadfast love and grace. The partner of Adam finally receives a name. She will be called Eve because she is the mother of all living things. God also takes it upon God's self to sew and stitch clothes for them, clothes that they can put on and walk out of the store with. God also assures them that east of Eden, there is more than enough food to live on and that God has provided everything they will need. So do not be afraid. Seek, question, interrogate, 
travel, journey, you may find out the more you know, the less you know. But at the same time, you may discover who you are and who God is. And when we leave Eden, we can trust that God will nurture us and support us on our journey. Amen? Amen.